coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, for crying out cloud, attackers target misconfigured Docker instances. Next up, spearfishing is when preparation meets opportunate. New details emerge about the recent Twitter attack. And our fun game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 55, recorded on August 3rd, 2020. I'm your co-host Kelsey, not to be out pun LaBelle. With me co-host Chad, our green team operations eco-hacking Anderson, and last but not least, Tarek making a mountain out of a malware Salah. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hey there. Well, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot that's especially been happening around social media in this past week. But for starters, we're going to go forward with our first article, which is for crying out cloud. So attackers are targeting misconfigured cloud-based Docker instances running on Linux distributions with an undetectable strand of malware. Sounds fun, right? So, Chad, we're going to start off with the topic du jour, which is Docky. So is this Docky malware associated or seen in any other campaigns or is this the first we're hearing of this malware yeah so it is new it's associated with the ingrok botnet um which is called that because it refers to its use of the ingrok.io service uh let's you it's like you generate short-lived urls that will tunnel from public internet to private infrastructure uh developers use it all the time and it's kind of like an ssh uh reverse tunnel for people that um don't know how to set one of those up, you know, it's like really easy to just run this little script and it um, exposes some application for you out on the web. But uh, anyways, this botnet scans for open Docker daemons that it can exploit, uh, then creates a container that runs a really common image, um, pulls down more tooling, all pretty standard stuff. Um, but since it's using really common tools, it's hard to spot. I wouldn't say that it's undetectable since there's nothing that is uh, undetectable, but um, so I have a little bit of an issue with that use of term in that article, but uh, uh, yeah, it's certainly difficult to spot. Well said. Well, I'm curious then what differentiates it from other malware, especially with that overhyped summary there. Yeah, it will. Um, you know, I haven't seen a lot of stuff pulling down like a, from a Docker image um, and then like using some sort of uh, escape techniques to move around and create more images and, and whatnot there and to do more scanning. Um, but the real fun bit to me here is the use of a Dogecoin address to generate C2 URLs. Uh, Dogecoin, it's kind of a joke in the cryptocurrency world, I guess. Um, it's considered uh, what many call a shit coin, which is just like it's some garbage that was made. But for some reason, it blew up among the uh, like 4chan crowd and um, some other things just because it was a joke. It was based on a little dog head. Um, so anyways, the C2 URLs are based upon money sent from the wallet. Um, so the malware will switch its C2s based upon transactions in the cryptocurrency wallet. Um, so the attacker here can kind of choose um, to change the C2 whenever they want. It's kind of like a DGA, um, but with a little bit more control, I guess, um, instead of like just having an algorithm that runs forever. Um, it also hides itself as a kernel module, um, which is, I guess, sort of unique for Linux malware, according to the article. Um, you know, uh, this whole thing, though, according to the report, it's just a cron job. It's a script that's scheduled that runs over and over again. Um, that seems like a good place for this to be hunted for and detected, you know, even if it is pulling down like 
a really common container or, you know, doing things that seem super unique. Oh man, I'm sorry. I'm not coming up with more puns here. I've, I'm just feeling like my mind is all clouded. I can't, mm. I can't come up with any yeah. cloud puns. Um, well, okay. Let's fast forward then to their most recent campaign. Thank you for that, that context chat and what has been noted as interesting about this malware. What exactly happened and how long did it take to discover this untraceable quote unquote malware? Yeah, so this this bit that's added, um, that's doing a little bit more magic. It, it was first uploaded to Virus Total in January of 2020. Um, you know, it hadn't been spotted uh, in all that time up until now. What are we in August? The time's been flying by. Um, so it might have been that everyone was kind of looking at COVID madness, you know, around January when things really January, February was when that all kicked off and all those COVID lures were that kind of turned the whole security community's eyes. So maybe it flew under the radar a little bit, but um, it definitely didn't get spotted for a long time. I know this show is 50% educational for the audience and 50% me trying to brainstorm new shows to pitch to major networks. And the one that comes to mind is like, you, Chad, dressed as a magician, talking about different tool sets and malware. I don't know why when you were saying that, specifically the magic of of the malware, I just imagined you in like the full getup, you know, oh, with yeah, like the yeah. navy blue and the stars and sort of like the pointy Disney hat type thing. It's a good uh, PBS show idea. Like, I uh, think so. The magic of the malware. Um, yeah, I would, <laughs> I would definitely take the Fantasia... Um, outfit and wear that. I actually have one of those. Um, I was going to wear it to Black Hat this year, but, um, you know, it was canceled. Um, maybe that's why. Well, you also have your Bob Ross PBS show for mm. InfoSec. This is what we're missing for training, I think, honestly. Yeah. It's what the world needs, Chad. I need you to step up. Yeah, there's no vulnerabilities, just happy little accidents. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. So, okay. What are some advantages then? Something that came up in the report is that um, they use publicly available images in this attack. And so I'm curious why that was helpful to keep the malware incognito, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so the what they use is called the Alpine image. Um, so with Docker, you know, you have all of these containers and you kind of each container builds upon the one prior to it. Um, is kind of the best way to think about it. So for a developer, it makes it really easy to say, like, I'm going to pull this um, Alpine container, which is a specific brand of really stripped down, slimmed down uh, Linux that'll help keep your images really small. Um, and then I'm going to build my own application on top of that by like installing just this one package I need, like Python or curl or whatever. And then I put my code on there and it's a new uh, image that's contained. Um, and then you can download that other places. But there's this there's this big repository called Docker Hub where there's a lot of base images and other people's pre-built images um, for use. So since they're using Alpine here, it's probably the most common image next to Ubuntu out there. Um, most administrators, I think, if they saw something launched on like a Kubernetes cluster, particularly, or you know, a Docker uh, swarm, probably in this case, um, if they saw something that was launched out there that was running Alpine, seemed really slim, just did some, like a basic curl call like we're seeing here. Um, they would likely just think that it's some developers like small application. So, um, and it's really hard to provide good introspection into every single container in a cloud environment. There's there's certainly ways to do it. You know, there's a great company 
uh, out there called Sysdig that does that, a couple of others. Um, but uh, not that I'm shelling for them, but um, I just used them in the past. <laughs> but uh, all these layers of abstraction, though, they really help for developers and deployments and automation and all these things. But it provides kind of a, a hellscape for administrators um, where they used to be able to go and see exactly what's going on in some monolith on a machine. Now there's all of these little containerized applications all the time, unless they build their stack looking for introspection as a, as a goal, as an outcome, um, you know, and really know how to monitor for those things. Uh, you know, it's going to be dangerous uh, and like little containers like this will be able to slip through. Well, I have to say the Alpine images peaked mm. my interest. Yeah. yeah. And you're just a mountain of knowledge. I was hoping for um, like a uh, car air freshener pun to somehow be worked <laughs> in there at the Alpine bit, but... I'd like to hear your thoughts on that, Chad. I didn't. My mind did not go there, but now, oh. before we can move on, you need to come up with that pun. Yeah. I, well, I guess it's every time that I pull the Alpine image for use in one of my projects, I just immediately, like, as I type Alpine, I see that little green tree. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> well, this is good to know. We're learning how your brain works, Chad. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. <laughs> so... Then after the attackers have created their container, what, what happens next? Yeah, so they, they use a really common tool called curl. Again, this is um, something that every single developer uses every single day. Um, curl is just a, a little command line tool for um, pulling down a URL so you can grab you know, a website or a file or, or whatever. Um, in this case, they go ahead and pull down their code, which they then install as a cron job and just keep running. Um, so... It's another tool that just looks uh, innocuous, you know, and then, um, yeah, it ends up pulling down something from a constantly changing uh, C2 URL that is like very short lived um, and is uh, just based on dynamic DNS. So it's all like stuff that's pretty easy to, to lose sight of. But I'm, I'm really curious what the implications or the consequences of this attack were in your mind. I guess this shows like a concentration on Linux malware right now. Um, you know, Tar can probably speak more to this in a bit, but I feel like there's an increase in Linux malware. In fact, I know that there is an increase um, with everyone moving to the cloud. <laughs> there's lots of uh, fresh targets out there, you know, running Linux, because most of that is uh, running Linux out there. And couple that with these like abstracted complex systems. Um, like Kubernetes that a lot of administrators just aren't adept at yet, you know, and we've only had it for a couple of years now. Um, there's no way for someone to be an absolute expert unless they were like there at the genesis of the project working at Google, you know. So um, a lot of this just leaves kind of a malware like or rather an exploit surface like learning gap. You know, there's a lot of mistakes that can happen in all these complex systems. Um, so as a malware author, they're going to target that. Um, and those are like, you know, fresh systems with cycles for them to use. Yeah, doesn't that seem to be the challenge of we already have a, a skills gap and that's proliferated or just a person gap, I should say, by how quickly that technology changes and knowing the ins and outs so you can minimize that uh, risk surface there. But I'm curious then how much this actually concerns you. And this, of course, will lead into our hoodie ratings. Yeah, usual levels of concern here. You know, this is just another um, it's another new technology being, you know, exploited. Uh, and that's kind of just all that's going to happen with anything that does come out that's new, right? Um, someone's going to find some way to uh, leverage that for an attack um, for malware or, or whatnot. So, um, 
What this really tells me that is, I guess, a little concerning is that in the instance of Docker um, and a lot of these containerized deployments that people are doing in the cloud, companies like AWS and, and Google Cloud, they make it actually difficult for you to expose the Docker daemon that um, you know is being attacked here and, and leveraged to, for this attack. So it just shows that people are like, actually being really sloppy and lazy and purposefully making their lives difficult um, by exposing that. So I, uh, I, you know, regular levels of concern, it's just, um, you know, follow the best practices for when you're deploying these things. And, um, you know, that's a great first step. Excellent. Well, Tark, after you've heard Chad's deep dive there, what would you rate this at, at our hoodie rating from a zero to 10, 10 being very, very bad? Yeah, you know, <clears throat> I would probably give this thing a solid 7 out of 10. One thing that we have about the Linux community is that there is a significant portion of the Linux community and the sysadmin, sysenge community that really hold on to the myth that Linux can't get malware. I've had very passionate discussions with people, even security people in the space, and um, there's still that ongoing myth that Linux doesn't get malware because it's not frequently attacked. And that's just absolutely fundamentally just not true in the slightest. But the problem with that is that this myth gets perpetuated. And so these kind of attacks are um, a lot of sys engineers and people that dive into Docker containers don't really um, threat model it. They don't account for it. And it catches people uh, by surprise way too often. So I'm going to give this one a little bit higher than what it normally should be. But I'm going to give this a solid 7 out of 10. Well said, Tarek. And uh, Chad, would you agree with that rating? Um, yeah, I, and certainly like it's such a common, a common thing where people think that Linux can't get malware. In fact, there's probably more exploit vectors on Linux than, um, elsewhere. You know, it's, it's pretty trivial to achieve privilege escalation after you have any sort of account on a Linux box. Um, uh, but, uh, and, and then persistence from that, you know, and it's all rootkit, whatever. But, um, yeah, I rate this at probably a six out of 10 as well. Um, I'm only because I drop it down a little bit, just thinking like, this is people making their own lives hard if they would just follow like what the deployment practices and like what Amazon or uh, Google or Azure say when you um, set up your your clusters, like it would be a non-problem. It's, it's really interesting to me that, um, yeah, people are just exposing their entire infrastructure that way. Kind of goes back to the, the meow attacks that we talked about on last episode where it's not hard to, to stop these problems from manifesting, but they keep uh, they keep happening. So, yeah, definitely high on the frustration scale, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just laziness. Um, you know, people want to have easy access to it without, uh, you know, generating a secure token or whatever they need to do or, you know, getting a VPN connection to their VPC. It's like things are set up that way for a reason. <laughs> All right. So spear phishing is when preparation meets opportunity. And that is our second article of the day. So hackers misled certain employees to gain access to internal tools to take over high profile accounts and push out a Bitcoin scam. So this particular attack has received a lot of publicity, especially from this weekend. So, but for those who aren't familiar, Tarek, can you explain the attack that happened a few weeks back before we get into the new juicy information? Yeah, absolutely. So from the outward appearance, the attack kind of really presented itself as a handful of verified and verified if you're on Twitter is that infamous check mark, that blue check mark. Uh, a, a good chunk of, of verified Twitter accounts were 
um, hijacked and messages and tweets, or I should say, are, were sent out um, telling people to go ahead and give this specific Bitcoin wallet money and you'll be returned back double your investment. And this is a really, really common, very um, uh, juvenile uh, cryptocurrency scam. So this one made the headlines really fast and uh, definitely had some big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, new information has come to light since we were initially talking about this. So Twitter did an investigation. What did they find? And then, of course, there were more news reports that came out. I think it was on Saturday. So what did we learn? What's new? Yeah. So number one, um, we actually have uh, public threat actor attribution now uh, with actual names. Um, that was a big uh, uh, revelation that happened recently. Uh, in addition, we know how this threat actor, this, this threat group, um, although they don't have a formal name, it was a handful of threat actors. And we understand how they actually managed to pull off the attack, um, which is extremely fascinating how it, uh, how it happened. And then we also understand what other data was involved in the attack. So we're aware of, we were all very blatantly aware of the crypto scamming um, that occurred, like how could you miss that? Um, and some of the incident response that Twitter took to um, stop that. So from an incident response perspective, uh, Twitter went ahead and temporarily banned all verified users from posting. So the impact was pretty tremendous in terms of their IR response uh, until they were able to do root cause analysis, find the accounts that were affected and you know take appropriate IR steps there. So we understand who did it and how they did it and what data was involved. So um, I know that it was publicly released that uh, uh, President Obama's um, direct messages were accessed. Um, a couple of other data sources, it's reasonable to assume that a handful of others were. Uh, what was really interesting, though, is that um, the attackers attempted to access President Trump's uh, Twitter accounts, but there were uh, extra protections like MFA and whatnot that were enabled on it, um, thus preventing them from doing an account hijack. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Oh, wow. And um, can we just talk to Mattel, too, about a cybersecurity board game called Who Done It? about attribution, because that <laughs> needs to happen as well. Let's add this to the idealist, Tarek, for all the money we're gonna make when we retire here. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, Chad, I know you had also been doing some research into this particular story. Is there anything you wanna add? The main thing, we you know, we talked about this a little bit before about how we would be, Tarek and I both would be really surprised if whoever accessed this had actually just been doing this as a Bitcoin scam. Um, and then to have it come out that it's, you know, like kind of the ringleader of the group is a 17 year old kid and um, just from Florida and uh, had kind of like done like small time Minecraft kind of scams and stuff in the past. Um, it's just it's a funny it's a funny thing. I really thought this would be much, much larger than uh, what it is. It's probably a good time to chat about how this attack was actually carried out. So how did they gain access to accounts with the right level of permissions to accomplish what these folks accomplished? Yeah, so um, when we're talking about high impact uh, breaches of this caliber, I think everybody's gut is to automatically have that knee jerk reaction to say, oh, this is APT, this is, this is cream of the crop, this is nation state, this is you know, exploit development and uh, you know, really resilient infrastructure and all these high level things. That's not the case. This was, you know, a handful of uh, 
uh, individuals that are really young in age um, who just picked up a telephone and just did old school social engineering, pretending they're IT support for Twitter and were, was able to, um, you know, conduct phishing to get access to the, uh, they call it the admin panel uh, for Twitter. Um, so they scammed uh, an, a, a person inside of Twitter who had that kind of access and uh, were able to get right to it. Um, there's also some other really interesting data out there amongst like the kind of the chat logs, because a lot of the chat between the threat group that conducted this and another individual that's involved that goes by the name of um, Discord user Kirk with uh, some numbers after it, um, who was bragging, who was caught bragging in the Discord correspondence about having access. They're a Twitter employee and they have access to this said panel. And there's Discord conversations showing some of the threat actors that were um, uh, indicted and charged uh, as having correspondence there. Um, so while we don't have the data, it's very interesting because there's a little bit of confliction. On one hand, there's um, data saying that this was an insider threat from that uh, individual named Kirk who works at Twitter. Um, and there's others that are saying this is social engineering and phishing um, that gained access that way. So kind of interesting there. Um, I don't think we'll ever know unless they publicly release the data. So very interesting on that level. And what was interesting too is that, you know, once again, we don't, this was not a sophisticated operation. And what ultimately got these threat actors uh, caught were really low level, simple indicators, right? Um, so if you take a look at the Domain Tools blog post about this, you can see some of the stuff that we kind of did, which was number one, we did some um, analysis on the Bitcoin wallets involved um, and tracing those Bitcoin uh, financial operations from you know the original uh, Bitcoin wallet address that was posted in the uh, Twitter chat um, and just really following the money, right? That's one downfall about Bitcoin. And I'm uh, really surprised threat groups are still using Bitcoin so heavily because the um, staying anonymous with it is uh, really, really, really difficult, if not impossible. So number one, the threat group, the threat actors, um, you're able to publicly trace the, um, the transfer of money through the blockchain. Um, and then number two, they were using uh, crypto um, providers um, and uh, uh, you know crypto exchanges that required verification before the accounts were created. So to do that is generally, you know, email us a picture of your driver's license. And two of the threat actors involved did that. So it's really it was really just a matter of just looking up uh, what these crypto ex exchanges had on the individuals involved and. There you go. You have a face and a name. So really, really, really sloppy operational security here. Um, and then also the IP addresses involved too. They, um, my understanding is that there wasn't any proxies involved, and this is just straight direct connections from uh, their residences. So um, you know, which I, again speaks to how scary this is. We have this really juvenile, non-sophisticated attack, but yet at the same time, it's one of the biggest breaches in history. Super fascinating. Absolutely. And I'm curious what Twitter took away from the attack. It sounds like they made some immediate, uh, took some immediate action there to stop their own users from posting. What are they doing now to help protect themselves against a similar type of attack moving forward? Yeah. So uh, the emphasis is really going to be under additional controls to these admin panels, right? So number one, um, when we're talking about any kind of additional controls for 
sensitive systems. We're talking about multi-factor authentication. Um, th that has to happen. And that's one thing I know they're working on. So you're going to need a uh, biometric or a device or some something physical in addition to your password to be able to access these systems. Uh, number two, they're going to need to set up uh, way more stringent network controls um, if they don't have uh, those already. So only certain individuals and certain networks should be able to access, even though this was internal, you could still tighten it up quite a bit, right? Um, you know, and so those two combined, you know, stronger authentication and identity, and then um, stronger network controls, um, those are two quick wins that they can do, and they are going to do um, to help make sure that this doesn't happen again, because it's really not a matter of if another employee at Twitter gets fished, but it's a matter of when. Absolutely. And I'm curious not to completely bias this question, but I will. What are the implications of this type of attack, especially around, you know, the upcoming national election here in November? Yeah, this is why this is such a massively uh, concerning, uh, and I'll just say it now, 10 out of 10 hoodie rating, right? This is why it's so massively concerning because number one, we had unprecedented access to very important people that have massive influence around the world. And really what was the damages done in this case were a pretty obvious crypto scam. But by the way, they also made $120,000. So it wasn't unsuccessful. So even though it is kind of obvious, it still was really effective. Um, but let's talk about some of the scary alternatives, right? Some of the scary alternatives are number one, international stability could be completely affected. If you got a hold of somebody in power um, that has a military power of some level, and then you sent out a message saying you're going to attack another nation, I think it's very reasonable to assume you're going to, uh, you know, you're going to affect global stability at that point. And who knows if another country is going to take advanced countermeasures before that even happens. Right. Very, very scary stuff here. Like what could have happened? There's also the alternative side, which is a little bit more, um, I think, a little bit more realistic, which is um, going onto these verified user accounts and downloading all their direct messages and then selling those or use, selling those to the highest bidder or another nation state, that could be potentially huge leverage against uh, presidential candidates and elections. If I have direct message data, um, you know, depending on what's included in there, that's, that's leverage. And that could be used to manipulate candidates and directions and all kinds of nasty things. Um, there's also lastly, like economic ramifications. So, um, you know, for example, Elon Musk's account was one of those affected um, the attackers could have very well said, instead of, you know, this obvious crypto scam, um, maybe making a statement about where Elon Musk wants to take uh, Tesla or SpaceX in a really horrible direction to throw off investors, which would scare them and have them, you know, sell their stocks and just really affect the market. Um, so the damages could have been so high. Uh, but then again, I think that also speaks to, you know, the fact that these individuals were all under 21 and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So kind of scary stuff. Yeah, well said. And uh, Chad, I'm curious what you would rate this at. Oh, that's like an 11 out of 10 hoodie. I'm putting on extra hoodies. Um, that's, that's what it comes down to. Um, In this heat, Chad? Unhealthy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, like Tark mentioned, there was so much potential for bad here. Like, Putin just has to be thinking like, how were we not successful in this? And actually, if 
if some kids were able to just socially engineer their way in, um, I gosh, I really hope that uh, Twitter security is doing a lot of reviews. So um, yeah, this is this was really bad. It had the potential to be hugely bad. Um, I'm just happy that uh, we dodged a bullet because this did have a chance for yeah insanity. <sighs> yes, hopefully this was all you know only the damage that was done is the damage we know of and that it um it was a good a good lesson here before things could be even more horrible but on that note let's switch over to our fun game before we think of either nuclear war or um (laughs) disinformation and talk about our game two truths and a lie so as a quick reminder this is similar to the game as you all know two truths and a lie but instead of discussing our personal secrets that you can use against us and say a spearfishing attack, um, we are instead going to name three article titles. Um, this week it's me, two of which are true, one is a lie, and both Tarek and Chad are trying to sniff out my deception and whoever either deceives me gets a point or isn't deceived, Chad and Tarek, will receive a point as well. So are you two ready for this week? Absolutely. All righty, let's do it. All right, Article One. Okay, Cupid breaks the ice with security flaw. Article Two. New app purports it can still accurately use facial recognition on masked users. Article Three. Threat list: People know reusing passwords is dumb, but still do it. Those are our three article titles. Could you read that first one for me again? Yes, I can. Okay, Cupid breaks the ice with security flaw. Hmm. Um, I'm going to go with... Those are all really good, by the way. I like how you held back a lot of the details to make it really hard. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is, a new, this is a good strategy. I'm going to have to learn this from you. Oh. So I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to say... Uh, the AI facial recognition one. Okay. So I, I'm going to, um, hmm. I know that there was some work by the Chinese government that said they could do masks or they could do facial recognition through masks, but I don't know if that's been appified yet. I'm actually, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the okay Cupid. Um, just because I feel like I would have heard about that, um, at some point. Alrighty. Drum roll, please. Tart gets a point. Oh. Chad does not. Ooh. Nice. Okay, Cupid did have um, a bit of a situation security wise, but yes, there is an app um, that they were specifically actually saying that they're struggling with facial recognition because now everybody is masked. So, ha! <laughs> 50%. I'll take it. I will take it. I'll be updating the scoreboard later today. Rough couple of weeks for me. I know. Actually, Chad, with this in, we're tied now. I hate to break it to you. But your rule, your authoritative rule as the winner is over for at least one week. You are now tied. <laughs> All great empires come to an end, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, does anybody have any closing thoughts? The one thing we didn't discuss, but I definitely want to keep an eye on is what's happening with TikTok, which is, of course, that 
Um, there was a tweet that came out from Donald Trump saying that he plans to ban t- or it was not a tweet. I apologize. It was a conversation that was later tweeted. Am I remembering that right, Ted Chantark? Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Of course, he, he sent out communications about it on some level. Yes, there was some some level of communication that uh, that he's planning to ban TikTok in the United States. And then, of course, the new information is that Microsoft is keen on purchasing uh, TikTok. Um, so we'll have to see what uh, what that ends with here. That's kind of some interesting news on the social front. So, any thoughts on it's, that? It's uh, it's really interesting because you know, on one hand. Um, there's uh, evidence to say TikTok was not really stealing clipboard data, but that the I, the latest iOS update. So long story short, in order to be able to access your keyboard because you're typing things in the app on TikTok, it also hit the same API function calls as calling your clipboard. And so when the latest version of iOS came out, it was saying that uh, TikTok is accessing your clipboard data. So there is that. So think about that. And then there's also evidence to say that that was intentional and that TikTok is exfiltrating your clipboard data, which we all know has could have passwords and other really sensitive data in there. So there's that. Um, and if that data is true, then you have a application that's massively deployed that is legitimately collecting intelligence on American citizens to... Uh, to China. And I think that's something to be concerned about. On the other hand, it's also kind of concerning that we're looking at banning applications as opposed to just making people aware of the risk and letting them decide for themselves. So I don't think it's black or white here. I think there's shades of gray. Yeah. Once you ban one app, it opens uh, a lot more. <laughs> like, like, what else is going to be banned next? Who gets to decide? Um well, everybody, stay safe at Virtual Black Hat. Um, enjoy it. This will be an interesting 2020 Black Hat. Summer camp is just not the same. So be sure. We actually have a virtual booth, uh, Domain Tools. Feel free to pop by. We have a Capture the Flag tournament going on. Feel free to participate in that. Um, Chad and Tarek also have an on-demand presentation that you all should check out on COVID Lock. Do you two want to talk about that at all? Um, it's there. It's good. You should watch it. You heard it first. It's there. It's good. You should watch it. <laughs> if that doesn't entice people, I don't know what will, frankly. Yeah. And Chad, aren't you uh, <laughs> doing something with Security Weekly around this time, too? Oh, yeah, yeah. This Thursday, I'll be on Paul Security Weekly. Um, four o'clock Pacific, I believe is when it is. Yes, on Thursday. Yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna say. that'll be a lot of fun. Really looking forward to talking to Paul. You all can hear Chad and Targ's voice a lot this week, so I hope you take yeah. them up on that. <laughs> the other great thing that um, you should all make note of and make sure to to go do, Black Hat is allowing you to sign up for all of those giveaways without having to interact with a single person, which is the greatest <laughs> thing in the history of conferences. How many times have you just like really wanted that Yeti cooler or that PS4, but you just couldn't go get your badge scanned one more time. (laughs) Well, this year you just signed up for all of them. It's fantastic. (laughs) Well, we'll know what Chad will be doing Wednesday and Thursday of this week, other than his podcast with security weekly. (laughs) 
Oh, man. Well, thank you both for your time, and we'll see you next week on Breaking Badness. Stay safe and enjoy virtual summer camp. And this week, drink and click. <laughs> That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>